according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me, if you would, in the book of Hebrews. We're in Hebrews chapter 6, looking at the better things and looking at the faithfulness of God and looking at the uh, anticipation that the author has that uh, his audience is going to respond to the rebuke, that his audience is going to pay attention to the warnings and so as to not fall short, to not fall away, to not abandon the Christian way of life. And uh, he expresses that confidence here as well. In verse 9, Hebrews 6, 9, Beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and things that accompany salvation, though we are speaking in this way. And following the, really the toughest of the warnings we've come across so far, we've covered three out of the five warning passages in Hebrews, and following the toughest of the warning passages up to this point, to follow it up with a note of confidence and to a note of persuasion, I think is, is a blessing. We are persuaded, we are convinced of better things concerning you, things that accompany your deliverance from the apostasy temptation, Right? Phase two salvation, not phase one salvation. Things that accompany the phase two salvation, being delivered and rescued from the temptation of falling into the apostasy that they were considering. For God is not unjust, so as to forget your work and the love which you have shown and continue to show in having ministered and in still ministering to the saints. God is not unfaithful. God is not unjust. And so our message last week was centered on the character of God, the essence of God, that God is faithful. And, and I tell you, oftentimes that's what we have to come right back down to is God is faithful. When I think I've been tempted beyond what I'm able to bear, I stop and say, wait a minute. Scripture says that he won't test me beyond what I'm able to bear. And God is faithful. With the testing, he provides the way of escape. Or when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So time and time again, that faithfulness of God comes into focus and we can hold to that in, uh, in uh, enduring the testing that he has assigned. All right, so we're going to move on and gain some new ground uh, this morning as we talk about diligence in verse 11. Before we do, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer and call upon our Father to shape our thinking, to humble us, that we might receive the word implanted that is able to save our souls. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do just thank you. You are so faithful. You're faithful day by day, moment by moment, and generation by generation, Father. You are the eternal, unchanging, glorious God of our salvation, of our Christian walk, of, of everything. All that we are is by your grace, and all that we do is by your grace, Father. And so we, we thank you for that grace. We call upon it yet again this hour to open the eyes of our understanding, to make your word clear. Feed us upon thy truth, Father. We thank you and praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so if I have the right slide here, it should be there, verses 11 and 12. Because yeah, last week we were talking about the uh, track record, the Hebrew epistle recipients, whoever they are. I believe they were priests that had been uh, crossed into the church age, crossovers as we call them considerable numbers of priests were becoming obedient to the truth of the gospel. And as such, they were being expelled by their fellow priests, the ones that were not being uh, obedient to the gospel, those that were staying faithful as Old Testament 
uh, priests, as it were. And these guys faced everything. They lost their the property. They lost. They had uh, their homes that were seized and everything else. They had a track record of loving ministry, even in the midst of growing conflict. And uh, taking a look at that, I thought was significant. Noting these two participles also was, was significant. And if you missed it, I would encourage you to get the MP3 and, and review these two participles. Because there's an aorist participle, uh, speaking of a past action prior to the main verb of the sentence. And then there's a present participle, speaking of action contemporaneous with the main verb of the sentence. And both participles are true. And both participles are used here as it relates to having ministered and instill ministering to the saints. And you can see that the English words there, ministered and ministering, in, uh, in verse 10, and even as it's brought across in this New American Standard translation, having ministered, that's a past tense translation, and in still ministering, that's a present tense translation. And so this audience has a track record, both what they did in the good old days and what they're doing now, okay? In having ministered and presently ministering. And to me, that is a marvelous expression that, that really touches upon the, the unique status of crossover believers, of those that used to have a ministry before, the, before they entered into the church age, and those that have now found a new ministry having crossed into the church age, having become, uh, recognizing the, the Messiah, having, uh, having received the Holy Spirit and crossing over into the body of Christ. And uh, these concepts, I think, are vital. Anytime you're studying the book of Acts, anytime you're studying uh, many of the epistles that are addressing people that got saved before the cross, they were Old Testament believers that had to cross into a New Testament reality. And uh, we have the indicators here that this is also the case. And the problem, of course, is their temptation is to abandon the present ministry so as to go back to what they used to be doing to abandon the present ministry of service. The idea that they're going to return back to their Jewish roots, they're going to return back to the Levitical code, that they're even going to physically get back to Jerusalem somehow and, and identify with their brethren there, even as the Romans start to surround it with armies and, and Jerusalem ultimately falls in 70 AD. Uh, that's, the, uh, that's the apostasy, that's the danger that, that we're faced with here in this book. In any event, all of that gets us now to verse 11. And we desire. So the we desire is plural. The we desire um, continues the thought along with the we are persuaded from verse 9. So we are persuaded. This is the author of Hebrews and his associates, those that are with him. Uh, he includes them as he's writing this. And we are persuaded and we desire that each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And so the author and his team are sharing a desire. And this is common. Any uh, pastor, any teacher of the Word of God, any parent in raising up children, what do you have a desire of? You want them to use the Word of God they've been given. You want them to take advantage of the blessings that God has freely bestowed upon them through the teaching of the Word of God. And nothing breaks your heart more than when you see somebody who should know better, somebody that's been taught better, uh, who knows the scriptures and yet lives a life in defiance of them anyway. And uh, when, when a parent realizes that or when a pastor realizes that or anyone realizes that, it becomes uh, quite sad. But so we see the desire that's mentioned here. We desire for diligence. Diligence uh, takes work, <laughs> all right? We're going to talk about this. 
The author and his team share a desire for the recipients, that is the recipients of the epistles of Hebrews, because we don't know who they are. I mean, if we knew that it was Corinth, we could say Corinth, but we don't know. We don't know the location to where it was sent, um, whatever the, the locality was for these priests when they relocated out of, out of Jerusalem. Um, probably Antioch, but we can't prove that. Shares a desire for the recipient's personal diligence. And you might recall we had something very similar back in chapter 4 and verse 11. A desire that they're going to enter into rest. They had to have a diligence to enter into rest. And so if you were with us in the study back in chapter 4, you might recall, we talked about diligence. It says, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. All right. And back in those chapters, we were talking about the, the sadness, the tragedy of a believer who should have be walking the faith rest walk, who should be entering into rest daily, all day, every day. And yet falling short in that, they end up uh, again out of the will of God and, and uh, losing rewards and doing the things that happen there. So there was, a, there was an admonishment there for diligence, which you might recall involves um, uh, hard work, consistency, a dedication. It, requ it requires uh, a setting aside of other things as you prioritize in order to stay diligent with the items you're supposed to stay diligent with. So if uh, you recall all that, then we won't have to repeat it. But the, uh, the, the same diligence is, is mentioned here in, in uh, chapter 6 now that you would show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And the sad thing about undiligent believers, or shall we call them slugs, um, which we can, that's not name calling, it's just adapting verse 12, so that you will not be sluggish. Okay, And so if you're not diligent, you're sluggish. And that's you know, I'm not calling names, that's what the scripture calls it. In Proverbs, again and again, you got the sluggard, right? Here it's being laid out, you're either diligent or you're sluggish. The desire is for diligence. But to be, to realize the full assurance of hope. And this is, I think, the, the saddest thing of all when we talk about the idea that there is a reality for every believer, but the realization is only obtained by a few. It's only obtained by a a, a, a smaller subset of the, of the whole. Not every believer realizes everything they've been given in Christ. We've been given so much. And we have such a living hope. We have such a standing before the Lord. And we have such, a, such an inheritance in Christ. And sadly, without teaching and without grounding in the truth, without diligence, the immature believer, the babe in Christ, is just going to keep floating along completely ignorant. They're going to be floating along without the realization of the living hope that we have right now. And so they might have a reality of going to heaven someday. They might have a, you know, a hope, and, and they know that they believe in Jesus. They know they have eternal life. So they have a hope of an of a, of a inheritance when they get there. And how sad is that? Because we don't have to wait till we get there to start operating with those assets. To, to truly function as adult sons, adult daughters, adult believers in the plan of God. And, uh, and this is what the desire is expressed here in verses 11 and 12. So each one of you, <clears throat> and it really does, it drills down to the individual believer. He's talking to them collectively, and yes, a whole church operates collectively, but even within operating collectively, it still comes down to each and every single one of us. That uh, we're operating collectively as a flock, but I can't make you grow up. 
You can't make your husband grow up or your wife grow up or whoever else. Each individual believer has to come to this personal realization. And, uh, and, and I appreciate that. I think that the stress on that is appropriate. So each one of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. Now the same diligence points back to uh, what they've done, what they're still doing, and he wants that same diligence to continue moving forward. He doesn't want it to stop. If you retire from the Christian walk and just bank on what you've done and say, well, that's good enough. If you stop in the Christian walk and figure, okay, well, let's see, I got saved in 73, uh, I had a few rough years, but I, you know, I was in the Word of God for a lot of that, and I've borne some fruit, so, uh, okay, 2018 seems like a good place to stop, all right? Have I not done enough? And the answer is no. <laughs> because God in his wisdom has chosen not to take you home yet. You're still here. And so there is still things to reach forward to. And we want to show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. And until we reach that end, we shouldn't be stopping. That's the point on that. Now they are slow of hearing. Remember, that was in chapter 5. They are slow of hearing, which must change, lest they also become slow of being. <laughs> okay? Slow of hearing. That's chapter 5 and verse 11. They are slow of hearing, which must change, lest they also become slow of being. They're not there yet. But they'll get there if they don't change their hearing practices. And so between 5.11 and 6.12, I think this contrast bears out. So the same terminology, by the way, for slow is just applied to hearing in chapter 5 and it's, it's applied to being in chapter 6. The, the verb in chapter 6 is the verb of becoming. It's the verb of ginemoth. Like the word became flesh. It's the word of becoming. Becoming something that you never were before. Becoming something that you are not now. Jesus Christ, until the incarnation, until the virgin birth, the word was never flesh. Until the virgin birth, he existed in the form of God. And yet he took upon himself the form of man that he might walk our walk and identify with us. So it's the verb of becoming. And that's what it says here, that you would not become. That you would not become slow of, uh, of being. We don't want to be slow of being. In chapter 5, it was slow of hearing. He wanted to go into a long discourse about Melchizedek. And, and he will. I mean, we get to chapter 7, and there's, there is a long discussion on Melchizedek. Uh, but he didn't feel they were ready for it yet in 5.11. Concerning him, we have much to say. It is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. <coughs> and so whether we render it dull or slow uh, or sluggish, it's the same Greek term that we're looking at here in both chapters. So are we slow to hear or are we quick to hear? James tells us to be quick to hear, right? We want to be quick to hear. And if we, if we stay slow to hear too long, right? Slowness becomes hardness. You know, doctors try to track your uh, arteries. Are they slow or are they blocked? <laughs> okay? You don't get to the hardness of heart overnight. There's, there's stages that lead up to that. And like with uh, the hardness of heart, slowness of hearing is the, is the warning sign. <coughs> now, if that's not remedy, then you get the total blockage. You get the hardness of heart. And then you get slowness of being, becoming sluggish, as, uh, 
It is there in verse 12 of, of chapter 6. So that you will not become sluggish, but become imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So don't be slow of hearing. Be quick of hearing. If you look around and ask yourself, what's my appetite like? What's my appetite like? Am I, am I content with, uh, you know, with, with one sermon a month? Am I content with two a month? Am I content with one a week, two a week? What am I content with? What is it that I've adapted my appetite to? And uh, we're marvelously, I think, we're created to be, uh, to be habitual. We're created to be consistent. I think that's built in. And then the fall and sin just turns that into a problem, right? Because what's designed to be a blessing in, in consistency becomes addictions, becomes um, sin patterns, becomes ruts, becomes uh, the tendency of humans to be content with where they are and not want to change things. And, um, and so we adapt. We adapt to a diminished appetite. We adapt to a diminished food intake. And we just learn how to get by with our starvation level capacity. And that doesn't do our spiritual walk any good. So the, the admonishment about slow in hearing, ask yourself, what can I do to accelerate my hearing? What can I do to take in more doctrine? What can I do to live more of the truth that I'm taking in? And, uh, and that's the, uh, the admonishment there. God expects our diligence in both hearing and doing the Word of God. God expects our diligence in both hearing and doing the Word of God. Not just in the hearing department. If you're a hearer only and not a doer of the Word of God, then you delude yourself. And that's, uh, that's the worst lie of all when you're lying to yourself. He expects our diligence. And this is why, traditionally, you know, doctrinal Bible churches tend to be some of the smallest crowds in town. Because this, is, uh, this takes work. This takes effort. This requires uh, an active engagement in your priesthood with the material that is being communicated. That you've got to digest it. You've got to appropriate it. You've got to find uh, the will of God and the expression of this truth. And how, uh, when inhale becomes exhale, how it is that you are applying these things in your, uh, in your daily walk. But it's not, uh, it's not, it's simple, but it's not easy, as we say. 2 Timothy 2.15 should be very familiar to all of us. All of these passages should be very familiar to all of us. This is the, uh, the key verse for the Awana acronym. If you ever had a kid in the Awana program. All workmen are not ashamed. This is the, uh, the expectation. Notice uh, 2 Timothy 2.15 does not start with be sluggish. <coughs> Right? It starts with be diligent. You know, don't be lackadaisical. Don't just uh, be ho-hum about your intake. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed accurately handling the word of truth. That means you present yourself for duty. You present yourself ready to serve, ready to work. And uh, it's not simply the academic exercise where you're just here to learn, to learn, to learn, to learn. You're actually here to work. And in order to work better, you expect that he's going to teach you something today in the doing of that work. That's why you present yourself as a workman. As a workman. And uh, I tell you, have you ever been in the military? You ever, you know what this is about? You know what the morning formations are? You know when you present yourself ready for duty? And... Uh, you know, and then give the, uh, the accountability and it gets reported whether you're present or accounted for and, and whatever. But if you're present, rather than accounted for, if you're present, 
then you're present for duty. And there's a duty day, there's a duty assignment, and then you get your assignment, and there you are. And so this is be, be diligent. At Fort Hood, it was always 555. You had to be in formation at 555. And the reason why, uh, the whole purpose for Triple Nickel, you got there at 555 because that way you were all lined up, all that was done, and you were at attention when the, when the, the trumpet started blowing at 6 a.m. For the, for the morning uh, raising of the colors, the, uh, the flag. Anyway, present yourself, approve to God as a workman, not a spectator, <laughs> not an amused observer, okay? Someone that's checking out Christianity kind of from the sidelines and watching, okay? Not a spectator. You're not coming to, to learn the Word of God to see what somebody else is going to do with it. You're coming to learn the Word of God because you're expected to do something with it. You're the workman. We're all the workmen not needing to be ashamed. Why would you be ashamed? Isn't that interesting? Not needing to be ashamed. Accurately handling the word of truth. Why would a workman be ashamed? A workman might be ashamed if he thinks that he's a failure or that he's not going to get it done or he can't get it done or he doesn't know what he's doing or somebody else would do it better. I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why a workman might be ashamed, but you've got none of those reasons and no excuses. Because there's no shame when God himself is the one working in you to willing to do of his good pleasure. When God himself is the one that's accomplishing the results. When it's God himself that is equipping you to do every good work. And he's teaching you how to do it. Accurately handling the word of truth. So there's no shame in any of that. And there's no shame. There's no um, disappointment. There's no sense of... Uh, of, uh, of uh, let down or, or, or uh, disappointment that well, you know, yeah, I'm not. I don't have the. I don't have the seating that this other pastor has. So I don't. I'm not. I'm not leading the numbers to Christ that this other evangelist is leading to Christ. Or I'm not writing the books that this other guy's writing the books. Or in, in comparing myself to other people in their ministries, there's all kinds of shame in, in that kind of a relative exercise. So quit it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Don't do the relative exercise. Do the absolute exercise of obeying God. And there's no shame in that. Because whatever field he's put you in is the field he wants you in. So there's no shame in that. Be faithful where he puts you. And uh, no shame whatsoever. All right? So, but it requires diligence. You don't just accidentally wander into it. James 1, likewise. Hebrews, James. And just like you're presenting yourself as a workman... You are listening with the attitude of living. You are learning so that you can live. So my childhood pastor used to say, live to learn so that you can learn how to live. And uh, that's very accurate, all right? So prove yourselves to be. Where do I pick up on this? How about um, verse 19 says, This you know, my beloved brethren, everyone must be quick to hear. Not slow of hearing, quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Verse 21 says, Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all the remains of wickedness. So there's preparation to studying the Word of God. In humility, receive the Word implanted, which is able to save your souls. A good use of that silent prayer time at the beginning of Bible class. I mean, assuming you're in fellowship. If not, you rebound, you confess your sins. But if you're in fellowship and you've got nothing to confess... You can still make, you should still be making productive use of that time to prepare your heart, to ask for that humility, 
to ask the Father to say, clear away any pride issues, clear away any attitudes that, uh, that could be coming across from the pulpit. If there's something that's, that I'm going to get hit with, prepare me to get hit with it. <laughs> prepare me to accept it, to embrace it, to, to, to plunge it in deep. And not just uh, block it and cast it off and pretend it's not for me. Okay. With humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. Again, phase two salvation. Able to save your souls, to rescue you from sin temptations. To rescue you from the, the uh, stumbling blocks of, of our Christian experience. Receive the word implanted. How deep does it have to be to be implanted? You know, if you get a little sliver on a piece of wood and it's just kind of sticking there in your finger and it's very surface level, it's just eh, kind of an irritation and you just pluck it out and there it's gone. That's not implanted. Okay? That's not implanted. you got to get that thing in so deep that it requires, uh, you know, tweezers or a surgeon or something. Someone's going to do some digging down in there if he's going to possibly get it out. Otherwise, you just got to live with it for days or weeks until the skin finally pushes it out, right? Receive the word implanted. And how are we doing with the word of God? Are we receiving it implanted? Because the word of God is a sharp two-edged sword, pierces even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. I mean, it goes deep. It's supposed to go deep. But a lot of times, we don't want it to go that deep. A lot of times, you know, it could just barely nick our skin, and we're like, oh. <laughs> okay, Right? Oh, that's terrible. That's outrageous. Yeah, wait till it really starts hurting. Wait till it really gets in there deeper. So, receive the word implanted, which is able. Able to save your souls. It doesn't automatically do it every time. You've got to apply faith. You've got to live it out. Not only do you have to have the word, you've got to use the word for it to save your soul. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. you got to be a doer. That's part of being called as a workman. You're presenting yourself as a workman. You're coming as a doer. You're learning so that you can live it out. That's important. And that requires diligence. Again, all of this requires diligence. Second Peter 1 requires diligence. Second Peter chapter 1. And in all of these, I'll tell you, I've had people that have really had such a uh, low view of scripture that I've been tempted on occasion to take a black sharpie <laughs> and say, show me your Bible. I want to mark some verses out of it that you obviously don't believe. Okay, And that's a little bit confrontational and, and, and gruff, but, but uh, it might serve a purpose if somebody realized, oh, th those verses do say that, and I haven't been living that way, or I haven't been believing that. Do you believe the word of God is sufficient or not? Do you hold to the sufficiency of Scripture? I hold to the sufficiency of Scripture. And I don't believe I need to add to the work of Jesus Christ for my salvation. And I don't believe I need to add to the word of God for my sanctification. I don't believe I need to supplement the Bible with earthly wisdom for me to walk a victorious Christian walk. Because we see here, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything. Do you have that word in your Bible? Does it say everything? All right. Don't make me cross that off. That's because it says what it says. Everything. And if you think that everything isn't everything, think again. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. 
the problems of daily living, the problems of life, the struggles of the Christian walk, from your marriage to your family to your growth to everything. Name a subject, everything. <laughs> okay? Oh, well, you don't understand. This was written a long time ago. We're in the modern world now. We're dealing with things that, you know, they, Peter never even knew about. Doesn't matter. God knew about it. God's eternal. His word's eternal. Everything is everything. Why am I going to supplement my Bible? Why am I going to add to the scriptures with human wisdom, particularly satanic wisdom? How insane is that? Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Through the, and how, how does he do it? Through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. So if you're finding a deficiency, ramp it up. Your intimacy with God. Get to know Jesus better. Right? <laughs> the conference called Friday with different pastors. Robbie Dean holds a thing on Friday mornings. About 20 of us get on there. And um, pastor in, uh, in Arizona, John Hinson, Tucson, Arizona, Tucson Bible Church. And uh, he said, uh, are you preaching on Sunday? Of course. He said, well, if you think about it, try to, try to mention Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, good idea. Wisdom from a man that's been in the ministry for a long, long time. And I'm not going to say he's old or anything, but and I'm not going to say that Robbie Dean is old or anything, but <laughs> when Robbie Dean was a camper, a little kid going to camp at Camp Penile, um, John Hintz was the wrangler for the, for the horses there. And he was a college kid himself. So anyway, there's, a, there's an age perspective for you. But stressing the sufficiency of Scripture and how it is through the Word of God that we come to the epinosis of Him who called us by His own glory and excellence. For by these He has granted to us His precious and magnificent promises. Do you need anything besides Scripture? Do you need anything besides the promises of God? So that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. And to me... How sad is it that you get believers that are acting like unbelievers and they're chasing all the escapism under the sun? And they're using alcohol to escape, they're using drugs to escape, they're using sex to escape, they're using whatever. They've got all this escapism. And here's the Bible is the best escape mechanism in the world. It's the way of escape. It's just saturate yourself with the Word of God. Come to occupy with Jesus Christ as we claim the promises. And you find that uh, in being occupied with Christ and living in the Word of God, you've just escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Think about that. Right? I mean, isn't that something? You know, uh, isn't, doesn't NASA, don't, you know, uh, astronauts and whatever, they've got to, they're going to build a rocket and they've got to escape Earth's orbit. They're going to escape the gravity. They've got, they've got to reach escape velocity. Not easy to do, apparently. I'm not a rocket scientist, but I've heard the terms. And yet, <laughs> How much simpler to escape the cosmic corruption get in the Word of God. And you can escape cosmic corruption like that. No rocket required. <laughs> no, no G-forces that... Now there's G-forces and it's just God. 
and you can escape the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence, there's our term again. See, this takes work. It's not just a casual flip a Bible open, find a random verse and say, okay, that's my verse for today. Applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. You see how this is a chain and it's, it's interlocked and it's progressing? In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing. Oh, that's important. Goes back to what I was saying in the first part of this hour. They're yours and you're not just content to bank that and retire and go, go to heaven someday. You're not just going to stop. You're not going to reach a point that says, well, I, I know enough now. Or, well, i got enough doctrine. Or, I've done enough. I've done my time. Somebody else can teach Sunday school now. Whatever. Wait a minute. <laughs> what are you doing now? What are you doing between now and the trumpet? There's, there's uh, this demand for diligence. And you've had diligence in the past. Why are you stopping now? So if these qualities are yours and you decide not to be a slug and they are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. this is, Peter had a way of expressing things as just fun. Neither useless nor unfruitful. Isn't that beautiful? I love that. I may start using that. That's that. That may be my new answer to the how are you question. <laughs> you know, how are you? I'm neither useless nor unfruitful. Okay? But there's a whole lot of verses to get there, though. I mean, that, that takes a lot of work. You can put that on business cards and hand that out. Neither useless nor unfruitful. In the epinosis of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities, this is the sluggish one. You get back to Hebrews and see the sluggish person. He who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And so you get to this point of laziness and you kind of forget what it's all about and why he saved you in the first place and where you came from and where you are and why do you want to go back to that in the practical outworking of, of your personal life. So, verse 10 then, be all the more diligent. Be all the more diligent. Okay? So God expects our diligence in both hearing and doing the Word of God. And that takes work. And the author of Hebrews is confident that his, uh, his readers are going to, uh, going to do this. Now, to realize the full assurance of hope. What is the full assurance of hope? What is full assurance? Full assurance is totally realized and personally absorbed. Full assurance. What, what we mean by that term, full assurance? We mean that it's fully reali totally realized and personally absorbed. It's personal. It's yours now. You've adopted it. You've embraced it. You've, uh, what do we say? You've bought in, is the idiom, right? Where you've got buy-in to the concept. Full assurance is a totally realized and personally absorbed. Here is hope. Elsewhere, it's the gospel. In 1 Thessalonians 1.5, it's an understanding in Colossians 2.2. 2. Here, it's hope. And when we get to chapter 10, it's going to be faith. 
These are all the different objects that are, that are used in the New Testament related to this expression of full assurance. Full assurance of the gospel, full assurance of basic doctrine, we would say. We'll talk about that in Colossians 2, the understanding of the word of God. Full assurance of hope and full assurance of faith. It's a totally realized and personally absorbed gospel. And it's got to become personalized. It's not going to become, it's got to become yours. Anything that's taught, it's got to become yours. You can't walk out of here and, and say, well, Pastor Bob thinks this. Okay? What do you think? <laughs> what, is, what is it impacting your soul? How are you going to use it? You've learned it. it. Are you using it? Is it yours? Totally realized and personally managed. In the case of hope as well, I mean, man. That's got to be that's got to be the core of your being. That's got to be that's got to be so uh, invested that it defines who you are. So maybe these other passages will help us to really understand the impact of hope in six eleven. How about First Thessalonians one five? <clears throat> Paul tells the Thessalonians, he says, uh, "Our gospel did not come to you in word only." but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. That's our term. Full assurance or full conviction here. Just as you know, what kind of man we prove to be among you for your sake. Does it impact the message if the guy preaching it doesn't believe any of it? <laughs> yeah. Imagine trying to sell. If you're a salesman and you think the product is the crummiest thing in the world. <coughs> And you're, you're trying to sell it. You're trying to sell, uh, you know, whatever. You're a door-to-door -door traveling vacuum cleaner salesman. And, and, but you're not sold on your own product. Back home, you got a different product, <laughs> okay? You don't even use what you're selling. And so you're trying to convey to this other person the benefits and the value and the worthwhileness and whatever. And is your heart truly in it if it's not real? And so with respect to the gospel, it's not just words. Power in the Holy Spirit, that's what true evangelism is all about anyway. It's the Holy Spirit that's doing the work. And with a full assurance. Are you talking about their full assurance or his full assurance? It's his full assurance as he's speaking, as he's proving to be the kind of person that uh, himself has accepted this gospel message, that himself has been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ that himself is preaching what he has received with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so you became imitators of us and of the Lord. So that's the full conviction of the gospel. Totally realized, personally absorbed gospel. And, uh, and there you have it. How about the understanding in Colossians 2.2? 2, 2? Colossians. And this one, actually, we could target the, uh, I think grammatically there's one object to the term, but conceptually there's a, a bigger aspect on this in Colossians. <clears throat> it really attains to a wealth. Colossians 2.2. 2. I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are in Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face. You know, the, the, the difficulty Paul had in the places he hadn't been to yet. He'd never been to Colossae, yet he's writing an epistle to them. 
He had not been to Rome when he wrote the book of Romans. And he mentions that. And here he mentions this. Those that have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth. And so I almost put wealth there instead of understanding, but grammatically the object is, is understanding. But it still it comes within a wealth application here that you would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery that is Christ himself. And so I think when you put these things together, especially in verse 3, verse 4, when we're talking about the mystery of Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and of knowledge. And so when we think about where we are as church age believers, do we understand what we've been given? Do we know how precious the church age is compared to Israel and their stewardship or the Gentiles and their stewardship or even the angels and their stewardship? We have a stewardship that is wealthy beyond anything else because we are baptized into personal union with the heir of all things. Jesus Christ has overcome. Jesus Christ has ascended. Jesus Christ has been seated at the Father's right hand. Jesus Christ is the heir of all things. All things have been created through him and for him. Jesus Christ is seated in victory and we are seated at his right hand. We are positionally in him. And so that wealth... That wealth, that understanding is put here in Colossians 2 in terms of a full assurance, a full conviction. So a full assurance, understanding the wealth of the church age. How about that? If I can paraphrase the paragraph. Mm -hmm. The full assurance of the wealth of understanding our church age blessings. Personally absorbing it. Totally realizing it. In Hebrews 6, it's hope. It's hope. Not some wishy-washy thing. Not some uh, someday pipe dream. Not some down the road, I hope it eventually works out. Hope is the positive anticipation, and I fully embrace it now. It is a living hope, and I have a personal, uh, I've personally absorbed that. I have totally realized that. I've taken that objective reality and by faith I have accepted it as a subjective realization. And so it's mine. It's absolutely mine. It, it, it shapes my attitude. It shapes my being. It colors everything I do. Everything I think. Everything I say is, is molded by this, this hope. A totally realized and personally absorbed full assurance of hope. And that should be where all of us are all day, every day. And uh, the author of Hebrews says this is where he wants his readers to be, in the full assurance of hope. Or in chapter 10, he talks about the full assurance of faith. In Hebrews 10, 22. And this is the confidence that we have. Hebrews is my favorite book. Chapter 10 is my favorite chapter. And uh, 19 through 25 is my favorite paragraph. <laughs> All right, so here we have it. I don't know which one of these is my favorite verse within my favorite paragraph, but um, I don't know, probably verse 25, but 24, maybe is a close second. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, we belong there. We have confidence to enter in. Why are we not in there all day, every day? By a new and living way, which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. A new and living way. Living. 
Always before when the high priest went in there, something had to die. And then he went in there. But we have a living way. Because Jesus died once and for all and rose again. He ever liveth. We have a living way to enter within the veil. Nothing else has to die for you and us, you and me, for us to go into this veil. Which is his flesh. Ever think about that? There's tremendous doctrine on that. Since we have great, a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Back then, he just went in there by his lonesome. One guy, one day a year. All by himself. And that's not the case anymore. Jesus went in as a forerunner. A forerunner expects people following him. Okay? We follow. We have confidence. We enter within the veil. And we draw near with, and here's our term, a sincere heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith. That is a totally realized and personally absorbed walk of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And when that's fully assured, when we're totally absorbed in that, that's what we're talking about here, entering within the veil, functioning in our Melchizedek priesthood and the Holy of Holies. Having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. So we have confession, we have cleansing, and we have the Word of God. Receiving the Word implanted. So let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. It's not us. <laughs> it's not get in, get in the holy place and do your best. Okay? Walk by faith and He will do His work. That's our full assurance of faith. He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking. I think it's rapture doctrine, our own assembling, our episynagogue. Not forsaking rapture doctrine, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Okay? Stay tuned. We'll deal with that when we get to chapter 10, the rapture doctrine of Hebrews 10. So full assurance of, of the gospel, full assurance of church age understanding, full assurance of hope, full assurance of faith. And each one of us should be absorbing these things ourselves so that we can live them out, so that we can express them if we're clear on this, all right? And then the final expression here. Back to chapter 6. So that... Uh, each one of you would show the same diligence as to realize, subjectively realize, totally realize, personally absorb the full assurance of hope until the end. Today's one more day. Tomorrow's one more day. Just keep doing it day by day until he chooses to bring you home. So that you will not become sluggish, but become imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so we get to be imitators. Faith and long-suffering carry us day by day to the received inheritance. <clears throat> Faith and long-suffering carry us day by day to the received inheritance. And guess what? Day by day, the, the fullness of this is going to come in glory. It's going to come when we are absent from the body and face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. Faith and long-suffering carry us day by day to the received inheritance, which God ultimately bestows both in this life and the next both in this life and the next. Some promises we receive in time, there's special blessings in time, but most of our special blessings are in eternity. Most of them are in eternity. Faith and long-suffering. Why do we need the fruit of the Spirit? Why do we need faith and long-suffering? 
It says patience, but it's macrothumia, it's long-suffering. Through faith and long-suffering, we want to be imitators of those who through faith and long-suffering inherit the promises. And we have this, and we're going to see an example of this. Abraham is the example of this. When we come back next week, we're going to be looking at verses 13 and following the example of Abraham. Um, we're also going to talk about the, uh, the oath that God takes. But the example of Abraham, he swore by himself and said, I will surely bless you, I will surely multiply you. And so having patiently waited, he obtained the promise. Abraham becomes a dad at age 100. Hey, imagine how fun that is. Going out there to throw in the football in the backyard and you're 100 years old. But he obtained the promise. He obtained the promise. And it wasn't through his own human effort. And it wasn't in his own manipulation. And it certainly wasn't with that Egyptian girl and, 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 and uh, Ishmael. The consequences of trying to do things your way are horrible. Just walk by faith and watch God do what he does his way. And so he obtained the promise. Now, did he obtain all the promise? Did he obtain every promise? No. Most of these uh, in the Hall of Fame of Faith, most of these in the Hall of Fame of Faith died without receiving what they were promised. And yet, they, every day they expected to see it. That example becomes, uh, becomes interesting as well. All right, but God does bestow his promise. So when he gave Abraham, was he fulfilling his promise? Of course. When Abraham died and did not yet have a nation or a king or a kingdom, the things that were promised to come later, in fact, they still haven't come. We're waiting for a second advent, right? For Jesus to come and, and sit on the Davidic throne and, and bring in the kingdom. Does that mean God is slow about his promises? As some count slowness? No, God is faithful. He will fulfill these promises, both in time and in eternity. And the ones that he's delayed on, the ones that he's deferred on, do we grumble about those? Sure. <laughs> well, sometimes. But we shouldn't. That's the point. It's through faith and long-suffering that we inherit. And so we leave it to him. We leave it to him. Why are we in a hurry? Why do we get in a hurry? You know? We're in a hurry, uh, particularly, you know, we can't wait to inherit. We want to inherit now. <laughs> but, but, you know, my, my father's not dead yet. <laughs> how, do, how do I accelerate that inheritance? You know, how, you know there's certain things you, you're, you'd be happy when that day comes, but you're not in a hurry to get there. Anyway, I'm, I'm dabbling. <laughs> but I'm trying to illustrate the truth that humans have such a, an impatience. That's why we have Second Peter chapter 3. As some count slowness. God's not slow, God's patient. So we need to be patient. And uh, this is what he's designed in his timing. Back to chapter 10, we had that same... Uh, we were just there a moment ago in chapter 10. <clears throat> but down in, uh, in verse 36, I think it's a similar exhortation to the one today in chapter 6. You have need of endurance. You have need of patience. So that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Well, when, how long is this going to take? This is such a, uh, 
I think this, we, we, we talked about this last week when we talked about what they lost when they, they accepted the gospel, when they accepted the reality of the church age truth and their fellow priests expelled them. Verse 32 says, remember the former days when after being enlightened, you entered a great conflict of suffering. Every priest that trusted in Christ and went on to follow the followers of the way, they were considered a traitor by the, <clears throat> by the remainder of the priesthood still functioning in the Sanhedrin. Partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations. <clears throat> partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners, accepted joyfully the seizure of your property. <laughs> you know, do you think the Sanhedrin's going to let your kids inherit? When you're naming the name of Jesus of Nazareth, then there are, uh, no, absolutely not. You're going to lose that property. The, the, the Sanhedrin is going to reassign that inheritance to, uh, to uh, what they consider to be the faithful Levites, not you. Anyway, they, they accepted that joyfully. And then in the uh, imperative in verse 20, 35, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. The idea that they suffered all that loss, now they're naming the name of Christ, and they've been serving for these years, upwards of 20 years, 30 years, okay? And now they're going to throw all that away and go back to the Sanhedrin, and they're going to return back to their Levitical roots. They're going to deny Christ now. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Can you imagine running 25 and a half miles of a marathon and then quitting? And the finish line's right there in front of you. Just a little more. A few more steps. A few more steps. Yet in a very little while. Don't you love that? In verse 37. Yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. That was written 2,000 years ago. And I love it. That means I can expect it today. Because he said in a very little while. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. We are not of those who shrink back. We're going to keep walking by faith until that trumpet sounds. And since it hasn't sounded yet, we're going to keep walking by faith. And if it doesn't sound before tonight, I'll go to bed expecting that it's going to sound before I wake up. And if it doesn't sound before I wake up, I'm going to go about tomorrow expecting that trumpet to sound tomorrow. Day by day, moment by moment, expecting that trumpet to sound. Chapter 11. Look at these guys. In verse 13. <clears throat> All of these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them. Remember, faith lets you see what you can't see. Faith lets you see what your physical eyes don't see yet. And then you can see it with faith. Without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance, having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. So if you have the right perspective, just leave it with the hand of the Lord. Verses 39 and 40, likewise. All of these, these are men of whom the world was not worthy. All of these, having gained approval through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Because God had provided something better for us. So that apart from us, they would not be made perfect. Can you imagine? <laughs> Well, what, if the, what if the Jews had not rejected their Christ at first advent? And what if they had been positive and accepted the Christ? Okay. 
I'm sure God would have worked it out somehow. He's, he's smart that way. But just think about it with me for a minute. <clears throat> here they are, and here's their Christ. And they say, okay, let's have the kingdom now. And they're positive, and they don't crucify him. Well, now they've got to go into the kingdom, and all they got is this Levitical priesthood. They can't make anybody perfect. <laughs> all right? Hmm. We've got to do something here. Anyway, God knows what he's doing. And obviously, the death of Christ on the cross fulfilled and uh, removed sin and prepared them now for a Melchizedek priesthood and, and all the rest. So God knows what he's doing. But the idea that we can see it and not hold it yet, the idea that it's within reach and we can keep reaching. We can keep reaching. We just keep reaching. That's what we're doing in Philippians right now. We're reaching. Because Paul says, I forget what lies behind. I'm reaching forward to what lies ahead. And we're reaching and we're reaching and we're reaching. And it's just there. It's just there. You're teaching a little kid how to walk and you hold something out and he's reaching and he's reaching and you're tricking him because he's taking more steps as he's walking. Okay? He's reaching. And that's what we should be doing. Reaching forward to the, to the crown. Reaching forward to the reward. To the promise. So we have need of faith and long-suffering. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for... I thank you for what you keep right before us, Father. You dangle stuff right in front of us and we keep reaching and we keep walking. And we're, uh, Father, we're just looking to you, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I pray, Father, that we never take our eyes off. Peter did. He started to sink. We don't want to do that, Father. We want to keep looking to our Savior. We want to keep reaching forward. Thank you for teaching us these lessons. Thank you for the example of the... Uh, Hebrews epistle recipients. We don't know who they were, where they were. <clears throat> the expectation is that they were victorious, that they did respond. And, and I believe they did. But Father, thank you for these warning passages. Thank you for these admonishments. I pray that we would learn them, that we would pay heed to them, that we would be humble ourselves to show, us the, to show the, the same diligence to enter into a rest, to reach forward to the prize, to uh, enter within the veil, to function in our priesthood, to fully embrace every, all these good things that accompany salvation. So Father, uh, make this truth very real to each one of us that we can operate in our, in our Melchizedek priesthood in, in a very powerful way. I thank you, Father, and I praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, we will dismiss with our closing hymn. It's in the blue hymnal.